You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Welcome back to Water Flying. I'm Abby Kellett, a flight instructor in seaplanes and assistant to the executive director at the Seaplane Pilots Association. I'm joined as always by Steve McCauley, executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association. Yes, and before we start this episode, we would like to thank our sponsors, and that are is the members of the Seaplane Pilots Association. You guys have shown real dedication to us over the almost 50 years we've been doing this of protecting and promoting water flying with your membership. So if you're not a member, please give us a call at 863-701-7979 or look us up online at seaplanes.org. That's S-E-A-P-L-A-N-E-S.org. This podcast is just one of the ways we want to communicate with our members and the public. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can email us at spatcplanes.org or give us a call here at the office, 863-701-7979. So today we're joined by my good friend, Matt Sigfrinius, who is the general manager of Aeroset, which is the manufacturer of the most advanced certified composite floats in the world. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you on board today. Thanks, Stephen Abby, for having me. So, Matt, we'd love some history of Aeroset as a company and then how you came to be at Aeroset. Yes, Aeroset was a spun-off company from uh, Stoddard Hamilton uh, that built the glass air airplanes. Uh, Tom Hamilton had three partners that uh, got a contract that was a joint venture between the Navy and Boeing to build off some standoff uh, test vehicles, basically missiles with that, that were just gliders. And uh, basically, the the once the contract was over, we built ten of ten of those products. Uh, Tom Hamilton uh, bought the assets of the company, and we opened a shop. And I believe somebody just told him he couldn't build boats for composite folds for airplanes. I mean, he just, uh, I think, took that to heart and said he was going to do it, and and we did it. Um, My involvement basically came from Tom Hamilton, who was a youth pastor at a church that that I attended. And through getting to know him, uh, there was some weekend work that needed to be done, and we ended up building uh, building and assembling uh, IBM printer stamps on the weekends. And it was, <laughs> it was full blown weekend work, uh, teenagers busting our behinds and we would pump out 300, 400 of these on a weekend. And it was, a you know, it was hard work. We, you know, it was just three or four of us all the time, every weekend. Uh, and we, we pumped out a lot of product. And at that time uh, we, Tom needed uh, some young guys to start working on on these floats, and we built the molds and uh, the original floats that we built were an 1100 series float for the Kit Fox three and four, and then eventually onto some of the Avid Avid flyers. We uh, had some really good success. I mean, the, the float performed well. It was light. Um, you know, there were challenges in the beginning. Uh, you know, trying to do them without vacuum bagging, and that was that didn't work. And so we moved on and. 
through uh, Tom's experience with vacuum bagging, we went ahead and built the floats, you know, out of vacuum bag, um, vacuum bag technology. And, you know, at that point, we built a number of these 1100s and we just decided to go after a certified float. And the, the biggest market we thought we wanted to get into at that point was the, uh, the 185 market. And so we built a, a float based basically off of a, a tried and traditional hull, which was the Edo 3430. Um, we splashed a, a, a mold off of the hull and, and built it up. And we straightened the sides, we had flat top deck, and we just uh, went through all the certification process. It was a very small company, so it was just Tom and, and two or three other guys I was working with. And we got through the certification process and put it on 185 and flew it, and it flew really well. And again, at that point, we decided to move on to the 206 market. And then also the 180, we didn't really have a lot of a lot of we didn't have a lot of 180s that really could handle the weight of these floats because they were uh, about the same as an Edo 3430, but at the same time, uh, it was we, we really needed a, a little bit lighter float. We got through certification. So then we went back and recertified that same float in an L version or a light version. And we uh, thinned some skins a little bit, narrower, thinner foam, and came out with a, a float that was identical in strength, but it was also about 35 pounds lighter. And... That was when we were over in Arlington, Washington, and in 1995, Tom and I decided to move the company over to North Idaho and took some time off while the move was made and came over here, and it was just Tom and I. So uh-huh. I, was building, I was building the floats by myself up until that point, and at, you know, we went from just me being one employee, and, and at one point, I think our highest was around 60, and we're, we're in the 50 employee range now, and... We've developed other floats for Super Cubs and the, the Beavers, and you know we have uh, the floats for the Kodiak, and so it's it's been a, a long journey, and it's been an awesome awesome journey at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. So the company has gone through all these evolutions, which we'll talk about a little bit. But you literally started out as an experimental float with the Kit Fox and then went to a certified float product. But I think a lot of our listeners might not understand exactly what a composite float is, because even that definition has been a moving target as the product has evolved. Can you talk to us a little bit about what the evolution process have been for composite floats and, and what it's like today? Certainly. Uh, the original, there were some original uh, composite floats that came around in the late 70s, early 80s. It was called fiber floats, and they were uh, an inverted V-hull, uh, Kevlar-based material, and it they, they did perform. They had a lot of loads going into the aircraft because they had inverted V-hulls, and then there was also the, the problem of using Kevlar as a, a base material, which... Uh, it's super light and super strong, but it is a nightmare to repair. And if it's fractured and water wicks into those dry strands and then it freezes, it just it just starts this ball rolling down a hill that you can't you can't get out of. And so the materials that we chose, we chose them specifically because there is a marine grade vinyl ester resin, and 
you know, the, the basic premises of our floats is it we've got the vinyl ester resin, we have our core material, the cold cell PVC foam, and we also have the cloth material. The cloth material can comes in all different types. Uh, we choose we chose e-glass in the very beginning. And uh, we've, we've stuck with those basic materials up until we built the Kodiak float out of uh, uh, carbon fiber. And it's about 80% carbon fiber. Um, so, you know, the materials that we've chose, and I would just say the composites is basic, is basic material, foam core, and resin, and gel coat. Everything else um, is, you know, just, I would say, company-wide uh, learning experience and, yeah. and, and what we, what we know works, what we know was out in the Marine era, uh, area. And it, it's, it's worked. It's worked great. Yeah. And so, uh, that Kevlar breakdown where you start getting wicking in there and the freezing situation. So I think that's what causes the blistering on the floats at, we see at Lake hood on some of the earlier floats. Is that right? On some, yes, on some of the earlier floats, specifically with the, those materials that were that were chosen for those floats, and uh, using the gel coat that we use, we've had excellent su- success um, uh, with blistering. We've had very little, and you know, we you know, in the beginning, uh, I would say that um, we had a couple of sets of floats that had some blistering, but through some of the materials that we kind of went with after that, we've had no issues with blistering on the, yeah, on the float. Good, good. So sort of through trial and error, you know, you've worked out the kinks and, you know, you've made them quite a quality product, but they weren't always a top market product, as you've said. And so they had a bit of a negative reputation. How are people accepting the floats now after years of only flying on metal floats? Well, I would just look at the number of floats that we sell. It really is uh, amazing, honestly. Uh, in the beginning, I probably built three or four sets a year because I was building them by myself. And it, t- especially in the commercial operator market, it is a, you know, it's a huge investment. And so they really wanted to see a track record. We had lodges and private individuals buying the floats. Um, and over, I would say it took six to 10 years before it really caught on, wow. on the, on, you know, on the commercial, commercial operation side. I mean, years ago I would go to Lake hood and I'd have to drive around to find a set of Aeroset flows. <laughs> now you drive up there and they're everywhere. They're all I mean, over. There, must, there, must, there must be almost a hundred sets of floats around Lake hood. Yeah. I haven't taken Abby up there. Hopefully we'll get to do that soon because we'll get to give her that experience. But, you know, I've been going to Lakehood for about 20 years now, and the evolution of what we saw on the lake 20 years ago versus what we see today. I mean, if you went back 20 years ago, it was primarily Edo floats with some PKs thrown in, and everyone else was the, you know, whether if the, there was a whip air float or a, a aeroset float, it was a, kind of a rare occurrence, and that's not the case anymore. No, it's not. It is not. It's 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 pretty amazing, you know, to to be with the company from the very beginning, through the last thirty years, and and just seeing the the customers, the return customers, you know, everybody uh, and their friend. Once they get one, and their friend is on a, a different brand, they I, I'm telling you, they almost always come back and and and, and buy a set of Aeroset clothes. So I know everyone's going to have an opinion on this, and this is really a subjective 
you know, area to go into. But from your perspective as the manufacturer of these floats, what is the real performance benefit of the composite floats? Is it weight? Is it the off the water performance? Where do what's what's the real sell for you guys on converting people from metal floats to composite floats? I'd say the, the biggest factor uh, is probably corrosion resistance, where you're not having to chase leaky rivets um, and and all the the dents and dings that come about by rubbing up on docks with with aluminum floats. Um, you know, you do have the smooth hull. You don't have any rivets. It's uh, very smooth. In fact, people originally thought they might be so smooth that they would be sticky on the water. And we've kind of proved that that's not the case, that they really do perform very well. Uh, Weight-wise, the smaller the float, the you know we're pretty much even with the aluminum uh, weights. The larger the float we go, the better we compete against the weight uh, versus an aluminum float. So um, I would just say, that, and they're rugged. I mean, I've seen people run into docks and, and tundra banks and stalling them on water. Um, they really do hold up well. Um, I have yet to have a set of holes breached to the point where the plane sunk um, ever, unless it was flying into a hillside or, you know, a, a mountain or, or something. They right. just, they really do hold up well and they're easy to repair. They're yeah. easy to repair. And how about the repairability? Repairability is, is in the beginning, it was a little difficult because people in the aviation industry really were not uh, keen on composites. So over the years, um, you know, rubbing up on docks and you have a bolt that you don't see and it, it wears through. Uh, we have underwater repair kits. We have uh, UV repair kits. We have the actual basic resins and materials staged in certain parts of the country so that there's always gel coat and there's always resin and cloth available for somebody. So if they have an AOG, uh, they can be, they can be repaired overnight. I mean, yeah. I, I've seen some that would not have, that, that couldn't be repaired overnight, but for the most part, it's, it, it's very simple to repair. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, you know, I also want to let people know how proactive Aeroset as a company and yourself have been as, as you know, the general manager of the company. Number one, you joined the Seaplane Pilots Association board, which is really, uh, I'm really proud of right now because we have Edo, um, Aeroset and Whip Air all represented on the board, which I really think brings up. And, and PK, uh, and they're on the safety manufacturers group with us. And I really think that the interaction between the manufacturers and the Seaplane Pilots Association has really been growing. So in leading to that, not only are you a board member with SPA, but you also are very active on the manufacturers group that we created last year that is really dedicated to analyzing what is going on with our breakdowns and safety when we do have incidents and finding ways to communicate this to our pilots and, and the community to make them safer. So it's really quite a show of commitment to safety from your part and, and the fact that you're committing Aerosets resources to that. So I really appreciate that you're sending uh, the customers that buy your products down to Southern seaplane to go through the safety course. What, what do you think uh, is in the future for Aeroset helping to reduce seaplane accidents? I think as we've gone through the, uh, the, the, safe, the manufacturer safety uh, group, it's really enlightening. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of accidents, you know, there's, there's quite a few accidents that happen, 
that I may not even be aware of, you know, of, and as a manufacturer, I know when my floats are in an, an incident because I'm the, one of the first people that are called, but it is, it is so critical for this industry to capture what this safety uh, group is doing and, and, and get it out to the, to our customers, to the uh, CFIs, to, to every as many people as we can, because these incidences are really a, a getting a blemish on, on the seaplane industry, especially with the, with the insurance companies. And we, we really want to continue to move forward and get these best practices and get that information on, on to everybody so that, that we can reduce these incidences. It's incredibly proactive of all the manufacturers that are in the manufacturer safety group. I mean, the idea that, you know, your job could just end when the float leaves. Yeah. You know, somebody... I mean, somebody buys the float and it's gone. You've done your job. You've sold your float. But the fact that these manufacturers are actually taking the initiative to try to reduce the accidents that are happening on seaplanes. Yeah, and I really commend Aeroset and Matt and all the manufacturers that are working with us on this because it's really important. And uh, we don't want to make assumptions. I think that our safety record is very good with seaplane flying. But it's not good enough, and we always want to go you know, to the next step. And when we do have seaplane accidents, it not only you know, can cause the loss of aircraft and injuries and, and loss of life, but it also kind of pollutes the public opinion of seaplanes and makes it harder for us to keep water open, and it drives insurance rates up. So um, you know, it's a, an important topic for the Seaplane Pilots Association, and again, uh, hats off to Aeroset and Matt and all the manufacturers that are participating in this group with us. It's really wonderful. Yeah. So the Kodiak is definitely the first thing I think of when I think of Aeroset. I know we talked a little bit earlier and it's definitely not the majority of what you provide float wise. But how did Aeroset come to be the manufacturer for the Kodiak? Well, we had uh, Tom Hamilton was running uh, the Quest aircraft at that point. And we we knew we needed to develop a float for it. It was needed. Um, you know, Whip Air beat us to the punch. They got out on the market first and uh, they had, you know, they sold quite a few floats. And at, at some point, you know, I think it was 2007, uh, we, we got the, it was a little bit later in 2007, it's probably 2010, we introduced our float to, on the Kodiak and it performed very well, very stable. Um, it was it, it was a great product, and at that point, um, it was it was a, a good enough product that I don't believe that Whip Air sold any other you know Kodiak floats um, at you know since then. But uh, it just we were lighter. We were three hundred and twenty pounds lighter than than uh, the Whip floats, and it's just uh, it was just the nature of uh, of the composites at that size of a float. We're we're quite a bit lighter. And really the idea of, you know, the manufacturers, they're just constantly pushing each other and, you know, creating a better product out of this competition. I think that's great. Yeah. And it's such an incredibly competitive market. You know, I really wondered if we could bring the manufacturers together on the safety group. And again, uh, not to hark on that, but these guys really are competitive. I mean, it is a small market space to be in. And, you know, it's understandable, you know, your your lifeblood is your customers. And to get them all to come to the same table every other week to work with us on the safety issues is really impressive. And to sit down at our board meetings and everything else. So I've really kind of enjoyed that process. 
So. I certainly, I certainly agree with you. I certainly agree with you um, in regards to the competitiveness. <laughs> I would say that in the last eight to ten years, it hasn't been as cutthroat. <laughs> it, it, definitely, there's definitely a, a different, a changing of the guards. I would say um, I, my relationship with with Chuck uh, is great. You know, we've we've come to know each other, um, and I, we're just different personalities than the previous people running these two companies. And and I think it's a testament to um, just more of a friendly atmosphere than, than maybe have existed in the past. Well, it's, you know, again, I've enjoyed the heck out of the fact that, you know, literally on a weekly basis, Chuck and yourself and several others are all on the phone with us or on these video conferences. And I don't think I would have imagined that, as you said, eight to 10 years ago, um, the, the environment was different. And I, I hope that SPA has been, helpful if you know in our own way of of trying to create a better atmosphere there so absolutely i you know i i would just say that um you know the the all the companies are you know trying to get a piece of that pie (laughs) and they're always going to have competition and competition really does bring innovation exactly yeah you have to keep moving forward and building a better product because if you sit back somebody else is going to take over so you always are looking you know for the next thing or the next uh, you know, either whether it's the next product or the materials for that product. Even what you've said about the evolution of the composite floats. I mean, you can't stop. You can't get stagnant. It can be better next year. You know, make the next one better. Yeah, like, well, that's what that I said. The along. definition of what a composite float is right. is really a moving target. Mm-hmm, definitely. Hey, one more thing, though, while we're talking about these manufacturers and what they're doing and how they're working with the Seaplane Pilots Association is one of our biggest things other than safety that is a threat to water that we've talked about several times on the show is invasive species and how we're working with the waterway managers and the policymakers to try to keep water open. Because quite honestly, there are real and present dangers of of water being closed specifically out in the the western united states and you know not only did we bring uh, chuck and matt on the board but they've also gone through the invasive species training that this that you know these people go through and have participated in that again to proactively understand above and beyond being a manufacturer what's going on and how they can be part of uh, of the solution to the you know these concerning issues so matt again uh, hats off to you and and all the other manufacturers that are working with us going through these invasive species things so what are the future plans for our set what can we expect uh moving forward well um that's a secret (laughs) i expected that answer (laughs) We are looking at other uh, applications to other aircraft, and really, I can't go into the the, the float side of things much. Um, most of it's really not a secret, but uh, again, it's it's kind of a trade secret, and you can't just divulge your hand. Going back to that and, competitive spirit, so. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, we will continue to to go into different markets. Um, we see other places around the world than North America. Uh, that are really opening up. And obviously COVID had a big impact on some of those projects going forward, but we're seeing um, the results of our hard labor in promoting the floats uh, all over the world. Um, And 
it's, you know, we're up to around, around 850 total sets that we have built over the years. Yeah. And so, you know, probably 90% of that market is in North America. And uh, for us to expand uh, into Southeast Asia and India, and even in, you know, China has been uh, a little bit, a uh, little bit difficult. Um, but, you know, we are definitely out there. Uh, sometimes I feel like a one-man band running around the world <laughs> selling, uh, peddling my wares, but I love it. I've loved it since the first day. Your door-to-door -door float salesman knocking on the doors around the world. Yeah, that's it. You know, <laughs> I think just for me starting out in the beginning and actually creating something that was the best, I felt the best, you know, in the world was, you know, was a powerful for me starting to build these floats when I was 20. And I remember being at Oshkosh at the seaplane base. My very first time there was probably 1996. I had one single float on a little stand. <laughs> and, you know, I remember, and uh, with no animosity. With great pride, with great pride. I remember, <laughs> I remember the Whip Air crew coming through there, and there was quite a few of them at that point. And, you know, they, were, they looked at the floats and they kind of snickered and, it didn't bother me because I knew that this product was going to change. It, it was going to change yeah. uh, full plane flying. And I loved it. I mean, it, it just, uh, I, I fed off of that. And yeah. uh, I, some of those guys, I, you know, have great friendships still um, made from many years back. Yeah. And uh, again, it, it's, it's something that I'm passionate about. Lo I love it. You yeah. Know? Well, it's great. You know, and that's something that again, I've witnessed over the last 20 years is, while the the seaplane community, in all honesty, has been you know losing seaplane pilots, and I think that probably overall the fleet is becoming smaller every year. Unfortunately, there has been a greater understanding, not only by manufacturers and the Seaplane Pilots Association, but also the end customers and commercial users of how useful and seaplanes are. And so we've been actually seeing while kind of the reverse of what's been happening in the United States, where we see growth in the international community for seaplane flying and opportunities. So absolutely. I've, yeah. And so I've really witnessed a change where, you know, all the manufacturers really banked on that U.S. business and more and more that business is, a you know, U.S. business is part of the pie with an international scope and it's going to be the same thing for the future of the seaplane pilots association so that's been an interesting thing to watch absolutely yeah so matt hey i really thank you so much for joining us today I, you know we're gonna so no we're not cutting you off uh i you know <laughs> we are gonna have you back in the future for sure there is so much more to talk about i love flying aircraft with aeroset floats every chance i get and uh i really appreciate all the time and energy you're giving the seaplane pilots association and all of the support you're giving us so uh thank you uh the listeners for tuning in to our cutting off of matt in this podcast but we're gonna have him back soon i promise you and uh until next time blue skies and calm waters and fly safe my friends we are so glad you joined us today if you like today's show i highly encourage you to join the seaplane pilots association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. 
Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.